0: to Reimagining the Internet from the Initiative for Digital Public Infrastructure at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. We're talking to researchers, techies, activists, academics, and journalists about what's wrong with the internet and how to fix it. I'm your host, Ethan Zuckerman. And now we're going to get into our last pair of conversations here. You've probably noticed that we've tried to steer away from The people that people have heard from a hundred times before, the speakers that everyone's heard a hundred times before. Jonathan and Evelyn are both people who, if you have not heard them, you will be hearing an awful lot of them uh, because they are uh, really inspiring scholars on the rise doing incredibly important and highly visible work. So these are people who you will be sick of in 10 years, but now you have the chance to hear from them before you're sick of them. So that was sort of our our logic behind sort of setting them up. Uh, Jonathan is going to speak first, but I'm going to introduce Evelyn first. Um, She's a lecturer on law uh, and she's an SJD candidate at the Harvard Law School. She's an affiliate at the Berkman Klein Center. Her work focuses on international and transnational regulation of online speech, content moderation. Um, her work is appearing in wonderful, wonderful places like the Columbia Law Review, the University of Chicago Law Review, the Atlantic, Slate. Um, she had, um, clerked for Chief Justice Susan Kiefel of the High Court of Australia, where she's from, has also worked previously as a corporate litigator. I will also mention uh, that this is a handing off of the torch. Evelyn is, is one of two visiting scholars uh, in the role that I currently have uh, at the Knight First Amendment Center, and I, I cannot think of anyone who I would rather have uh, picking up the torch.
1: First, I do want to thank you um, for, you know, your generous introduction and just organisation of this. Uh this conference this week. It's been truly exceptional. I want to thank Chand and Ethan for their remarkable book which I've learnt so much from and highly recommend to everyone. Uh, It's not just beautiful, it is rich and and, and nuanced Um, and I think Ethan's sort of just generosity and encouragement has really uh, just come through this entire week and so very, very grateful for that which makes me feel a little bad about what I'm about to do, um, which is um, to take take some shots. Um, So so, so let's let's do this. Uh, I think I'm a terrible person in some ways uh, to finish this this conference um, because I really am gonna be a bit of a Debbie Downer. Um, so uh, let's let's jump into it. Content moderation is what I spend my time thinking, writing, tweeting about, uh, basically the rules about what we can say online and what we do with content once we find that it doesn't comply with those rules largely. And on Monday, Ethan said content moderation is one of the great mi- greatest missed opportunities of social media. Uh, so, you know, Ethan is coming for my job before I even have one. So it's not exactly personal, Uh, But it is a professional interest that I think I need to sort of defend myself and my my field a little bit uh, after after this week. So, I mean, this week has been uh, incredibly rich in encouraging us to think much more broadly about what social media is and can be. And I think one of the sort of themes that has come through is this idea of like, let's make things a little bit smaller and let's throw things back to the community more and more um, in, in terms of content moderation. And, you know, I I think this is, this is not just uh, Ethan um, and, and the people this week, this really is something that is coming through in the discourse more and more about content moderation and social media. And, I am not so sure as my framing might have set up, I'm, I'm skeptical of this narrative. I think overwhelmingly the story of the last decade and especially the last four years of TechLash in content moderation has been a call for more centralized gatekeeping rather than less. Um, And so, you know, sort of to take us us back to the beginning, most people will know uh, John Perry Barlow's famous Declaration of Independence of Cyberspace, and they probably know it for those initial words, declaring that governments have no sovereignty in cyberspace. But another really important ethos uh, described in this declaration, which sort of pervaded the early internet, was this idea of that the internet would sort of govern itself, um, that it it will govern itself through collective action, it will grow from ethics, enlightened self-interest, that governance will emerge, and I really think in the last few years society has set a big thumbs down to that kind of uh, idea and approach. Um, And I think we really have seen the rise and call uh, for for centralized gatekeepers. Uh, It's Friday. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this. All right. So, um, Jonathan Zittrain, my uh, my colleague at, at Harvard, um, has called this the three eras of digital governance. Uh, and if we think of the John Perry Barlow era as the rights era, where the idea that intermediaries should shape users' technological experience was um, it was that it should be limited. I mean, they always did it in their own commercial interests. But beyond that, the idea that they should interfere on the behalf of like society uh, was sort of seen as, as not really the way it should go. And the, in the last few years, we've really moved to this idea of a public health era era, this idea that intermediaries should be balancing the costs and benefits of speech. They should be interrogating what is the harm of this speech and is it valuable and is it worth keeping up. In my, uh, in my work, I've called this moving from a poster's trump era to a proportionality era, which Ethan kindly mentioned the paper uh, at the beginning of, of this panel today. Um, but it's largely the same, the same uh, concept. Um, and I, I think that this public health era in, in one way or another, in one form or another, is here to stay. Uh, and And so the question that I spend my time thinking about is the legitimacy era. How do we legitimate that? How do we make that exercise of power in the public health era uh, accountable to us and not purely to commercial interests or platforms own interests? Um, But the burden of my sort of talk today is the idea that the public health era is in one form or another here to stay. Chan and Ethan's book, I, I don't want to sort of present a, a straw man of it or, or a parody of it. It is extremely nuanced and, and references a bunch of these complexities. Uh, and so I'm actually just going to be referencing a bunch of examples that they also talk about uh, in their book. Um, and one of them, sort of maybe the key one, uh, that, that is in, or a very emblematic one from the last few years, is Reddit, which stepped in and banned the, the infamous subreddit, The Donald. So Reddit is often talked about in these conversations about decentralization kind of as a utopia, as a good example of where this can work. And indeed there are very many very cool subreddits uh, with lots of puppies and you know very niche interests where people are finding each other and having a fantastic time. But there are also some very bad and very uncool ones uh, like the Donald which for people that don't know um, is, is sort of a very toxic, misogynistic and extremist group of people uh, unsurprisingly from the name associated with the uh, former president. Um, and in the end it like reddit refused to step in for a very long time um but in the end uh i think it was last year oh no yeah yeah last year uh reddit stepped in and banned it what we wanted in the end was a centralized gatekeeper to come in and shut that thing down um and there's always this there's this quote from the reddit ceo around that time which is just so striking to me that i always think about in these conversations um where he said in the aftermath of that decision I have to admit, I've struggled with balancing my values as an American and around free speech and free expression with my values and the company's values around common human decency. Ouch. Um, but also I think what we're seeing there is this idea that the libertarian ethos, the idea that government and governance should be as small as possible, uh, isn't holding anymore. We need something else, uh, and there's been a rejection of that. Maybe it's uniquely American. I don't know. I'm not going to – no comment, says the Australian. Um, okay, so moving right along, that's not the end of the story of the Donald. Uh, the Donald then went and set up its own website called the thedonald.win, um, and it was very, very popular. It had the approximate daily traffic of a subreddit with 2.5 million subscribers uh then it was uh intrinsically involved with the lead up to the capital riot um, and ultimately uh it got so abhorrent and so disgusting that the, the founder of the donald uh shut it down and pulled the plug on it uh, and it no longer exists in that form so again a centralized gatekeeper stepped in and had had enough um the other sort of counterexample of smaller will work, and, and Ethan himself referenced this uh, the other day when talking about communities, uh, is the next door problem. Um, so we heard the wonderful example of the front porch forum, um, but the counterexample to that is the next door uh, 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 forum platform um, where it's uh, quietly replacing the small town paper in terms of a source of local news and local community. And it is full of racism, misinformation, uh, and, and toxic content. And this is like literally neighbourhoods, literal communities. It's people that know each other and see each other in the street. This is not a problem of anonymity. This is like just people uh, sprouting off online um, and, and the community moderation, that that sort of sense of community wasn't solving the problem and sure enough around the Capitol riot next door itself again stepped in and stopped recommending political groups to users because it wasn't going to be found to be responsible. Uh, it didn't want to be found to be responsible for its platform's involvement in offline harm. Again, a centralised gatekeeper stepping in. Um, A bunch of other sort of platform examples that we can think of where passing the community, moderation to the community hasn't worked out I, the, um, a recent one I read, there was a fantastic article about Clubhouse in the Atlantic a couple of days ago, um, where they somehow uh, thought it would be a great idea to replicate the digital equivalent of the scarlet letter and give community members the ability to like literally flag someone uh, with a black tag um, for having been blocked a lot. And surprise, surprise, this was weaponized uh, against a, 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 you know, uh, vulnerable users and marginalized communities. Who could have seen that coming? Uh, we also know the counter examples of for example of 8chan gab and Parler. and i want to sort of stop and, and and talk about these last ones in particular because these are you know free speech they they market themselves as free speech content moderation free platforms um, but it doesn't actually get rid of content moderation it just moves it around um, and where does it move it to into the stack so if the app itself won't do content moderation, what we're seeing more and more is other infrastructural companies, internet infrastructure companies, deeper in the stack will be forced or will be expected to do more of that themselves, the quintessential example here would be uh, Parler, which in the wake of the capital riot was deplatformed by these infrastructure companies, the Apple App Store, the Google App Store, and ultimately Amazon Web Services, which pulled its hosting uh, providing provider. Now, that's not new. Um, infrastructure companies and companies in the stack have been doing that for a while. We can think of uh, payment providers pulling services to WikiLeaks. Um, we can also think of 8chan and the Daily Stormer getting... Um, kicked off by Cloudflare a couple of of years ago. But I think what is slightly new in this conversation, in this uh, era, in this moment, is that it was way less controversial than it was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago when Cloudflare did its thing to uh, 8chan in the wake of 8chan being literally involved in a couple of mass shootings within a year, I think it was three within a year, and manifestos about those had been posted to the platform by the shooters, uh, it was still sort of controversial in the community that an infrastructure company would do such a thing because there's real worries about the power whereas now this was almost like why aren't these guys stepping in why aren't they doing something about parlor and when they did there was a sort of like this huge sense of relief um and and not 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 necessarily as much concern about the power that they were exercising and i think that just reflects The way that content moderation expectations from society have dramatically increased in the past few years. So it doesn't get rid of the centralized gatekeeper. It's still there. It's just somewhere else uh, on the internet. And and, and I don't think we're going to be able to get rid of it. Another reason why I don't think we're going to get rid of it is because of this trend that I in my work uh, in a paper that I wrote for the uh, First Amendment Institute have called the rise of content cartels, where Instead of decentralizing, what we're seeing is calls for platforms to work together more and create centralized nodes to do more content moderation uh, together. So um, this started in the realm of child sexual abuse material where there's a centralized database of known harmful images. There's a shared piece of technology called photo DNA that the platforms that use this database can use to to check uploads to their platform against this centralized database. And if there's a hit, they get rid of it. This exact model was replicated uh, in the field of uh, terrorist content and extremist content. And if you're-
0: So I think once you start talking about intermediaries controlling internet speech, you're you're playing with very dangerous things indeed. It's possible that uh, Evelyn, instead of invoking uh, moderation and censorship up on they the-
1: They spec... are just sort of, sorry?
0: You you actually froze for a moment, so I was trying to make jokes about what happens when you start talking about moderation being moved higher up into the stack, the implication being that your ISP was so concerned or offended by what you were saying forward that they'd actually shut off the the, the, the content for a moment or two. Everything
1: so, is a content moderation problem is one of my sayings and no, Zoom absolutely. is no exception. And,
0: and, and you know, you, you started talking about, um, you know fingerprinting uh, terrorist content and uh, immediately you crossed a red line. So I was just vamping while your connectivity came back But uh, I have to say, it was pretty funny as far as uh, having the con fall off at that moment. There
1: you go. Uh, Well, I'm glad. I hope, you know, this has been a fun year for me. Um, I I hope I'm back now and stable. Um, We're seeing calls for this kind of centralized moderation keep going into a bunch of other areas. So far from people going, make platforms handle it themselves, we're seeing calls to re-centralize even more than it already is uh, these choices. And there's some good reasons for that. If we have cross-platform threats, we should think about cross-platform responses. Um, Bad actors don't see the internet platform by platform, they see it as one Comprehensive attack services. And so, when dealing with it, uh, it's going to it help have a faster, more comprehensive response if they work together. But crucially, it's also going to enable technology sharing, where the smaller platforms won't have the resources or the data to make these tools that the bigger platforms have. Uh, and so, they should get, but they should still get to benefit from it and not be sort of left on their own to deal with these problems, which is especially important, perhaps, where. Again, societal expectations of content moderation have dramatically increased and platforms really need to start thinking about it as part of their infrastructure from the get-go when they get set up. And if we are expecting more and more from them uh, in terms of this, um, it could become a barrier to entry if they don't get that sorted from the get-go and that could require sort of more of this like outsourcing it which again then will lead to another trend that i think we're seeing more and more is content moderation as a service so platforms are going to look at finding third party providers um, of, of content moderation so that they don't have to necessarily deal with it themselves, but they have that infrastructure. Just like we might think Amazon Web Services uh, provides hosting services to a bunch of different platforms. We may think that third-party providers, um, it might be Facebook in a really dystopian Orwellian world uh, outsourcing, hey, we've got a nice uh, content moderation uh, uh, service here. It doesn't have great Yelp reviews, uh, two stars, but, but trust us, it's still, it's still pretty good. Uh, it's better than nothing, right? Um, But it could be other third party providers. And we have seen uh, a bunch of smaller groups uh, already sort of uh, spruiking, spruiking this kind of thing. Why have I got Peloton there? Um, it's not because I got a Peloton uh, in the pandemic. I did get a stationary bike, um, but I, I did not splurge on a Peloton. Um, but it's because of this thing that Ethan and, and Chan highlight in their book, um, which is that it's increasingly hard to define what is social media because pretty much everything has a social component these days. And Peloton is no exception. Um, there is the ability to create usernames and communicate through other, to other users uh, through that means. And sure enough, last year, Peloton found that it had a QAnon problem. Uh, a bunch of users started putting QAnon hashtags in their user profile. Um, Where we go one, we go all hashtag, uh, and a bunch of things like that. And again, societal expectations were: you need to do something about this Peloton, you exercise company, and like Peloton's like, we were, we, we make bikes uh, and sometimes treadmills, unsuccessfully. Um, and it didn't know what to do with with this. Uh, it tried to ban some hashtags, and of course, it didn't know anything about QAnon, so it was a very bl- attempt and and people found workarounds but it's also a kind of unrealistic expectation for Peloton to start an exercise startup company and like get a bunch of people in that are intimately familiar with QAnon and it's inside discourse right Um, and so again that's why I think we might see this push for centralization because as we expect companies like Peloton to do content moderation uh, we might um, expect them uh, they might find ways of doing that that's not in-house. Chand and Ethan are aware of all of this. Um, it's that This is a quote from their book, which is that building a healthy social media ecosystem will be full of trade-offs, and we need to talk about them and highlight them, because it's only in doing that um, that we can make sure that we make well-meaning changes. So again, I don't want to give a parody of their, their point of view or what they've uh, been saying. And we've talked about a bunch of these trade-offs throughout the week. Uh, we need to be really conscious of what is the problem that we're solving for, and we have lots of different different people want to solve for different problems. If we're solving for misinformation and disinformation and uh, terrorist content and get rid of the deep fakes, um, that is a different way and might require more centralization than really empowering people and giving them more self-determination, even if that means sometimes they will use that uh, in ways that, you know, might be harmful uh, or, or the, the broader society doesn't approve of. There's also the question of does the internet get better if we move this stuff off the centralized platforms or do we just see it less? And when we see this sort of like pivot to privacy from Zuckerberg or this idea of like moving things, deplatforming it and getting rid of it, maybe it solves Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey's problem because they're like, hey, it's not our problem anymore, but I'm not sure that it solves society's problems. Um, And so there's a real question there uh, about about that approach. but I think, you know, to try and redeem myself and finish on a little bit more of a high note uh, rather than being a total uh, downer for this entire thing. Um, the real, I think the big takeaway from this week is that nothing about what we have is inevitable and we should push our minds to think of a better future because it's only in imagining it that we can make it happen. Uh, and Ethan has made it so tangible and so real this week. And I think we need to remember that what we have right now is still very young and constantly in flux. And I think even the big platforms, they are changing um, slowly, uh, reluctantly, but we are seeing some changes and we are seeing new platforms pop up. And I really don't think that what we have right now is going to persist uh, forever. Um, So nothing about what we have is inevitable, but I hope the burden of my talk today has been except for content moderation. Content moderation is inevitable. It's not going anywhere. I feel fairly secure in my research agenda, hopefully in my job, hire me. Um, I, I think that content moderation is not going away and we will need people to be thinking about this. And it, it's, not, um, it's not a mistake. It's not um, a missed opportunity. It's part of what we do now, um, but that's okay. Why can't we have both? Why can't, Ethan, let's call a truce. Um, We can have both content moderation and your wonderful utopian internet. uh, But I think the hard work now is working out what comes where. And what do we want to leave to the community? And what do we think, no, we need guardrails and someone to step in and be the Gandalf that says you shall not pass on this bridge. And so I think the hard work now is defining that and working out what fits in the middle of that Venn diagram. So I'm gonna leave it there. Uh, Hopefully Ethan is not so upset that he'll kick me out of this Zoom (laughs) call with his centralized gatekeeping power that he has uh, to do some aggressive content moderation.
0: Reimagining the Internet is hosted by me, Ethan Zuckerman, and produced by Mike Sugarman, who also composed this music. Follow us at publicinfrastructure.org to learn more about what we're up to at the Initiative for Digital Public Infrastructure. And please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it.